This is the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. Make yourself comfortable and fasten your seatbelt. Tom and his guests are about to share powerful stories, trade business building insights, and have a few laughs. Tom created this podcast to help you captivate prospects and inspire them to act so you can get more clients quickly and easily. That's what powerful storytelling is all about. That's what this podcast is all about. So let's get this party started. Here's your host, Tom Ruich. Hey there, I'm Tom Ruich, and this is the Story Power Marketing Show. Today's episode is titled, How to Master the Secret Art of Subtle Selling. As always, before I introduce today's guest, I'm going to tell you a story. It's uh, from back a couple of years ago when a car salesman yelled at me over the phone. I mean, he really let me have it. My wife and I had visited his dealership a few days earlier and looked at one of the more expensive cars on his lot. I could tell he was fired up about the opportunity. He called a few days later to ask whether I was still interested in the car. I told him I was leaning toward another make and model sold by the dealership down the street. That set him off. He yelled, have you read the Consumer Reports article about that car? I was kind of stunned. No, I mumbled. I haven't read it. Well, you should. And then we should talk again. (laughs) Fat chance, I thought. I don't get it when salespeople try to browbeat and belittle prospects. I guess it works for some salespeople, but it doesn't work on me. And it's not my style when I sell. The irony is I told him I was leaning toward the other car, not certain to buy it. In fact, the deal for the car I wanted did fall through, but I was not going to crawl back to that barking salesman. Here's what works with me and works best in sales. Mutual respect. Barking like this salesman is blatant disrespect. That's an obvious turnoff. In retrospect, I should have seen this coming, though, because long before he yelled at me, that salesman treated me with disrespect in subtle ways. When we met with him at the dealership, he talked over my wife and me instead of listening. He assumed he had just the ticket for us. He said that, just the ticket. And he made no attempt to really understand what we needed or wanted. He emphasized lots of features without connecting the dots for us. Yeah, I said that. Emphasizing features instead of benefits is a form of disrespect. When we do this, we put ourselves and our products at the center of the story. The prospects and the outcomes they desire become secondary. Putting yourself first and your prospect second is a form of disrespect. It's more subtle than barking at a prospect, but it's disrespect nonetheless. Which brings me back to the title of today's episode, How to Master the Secret Art of Subtle Selling. As I often say, if you wish to achieve mastery, study the masters. And when it comes to subtle selling, my guest today, Alicia Barr, is a master artist. She is a custom sales and marketing strategist who shows solopreneurs the secret art of subtle selling. 
She has personally sold over $50 million in services. And in the process, she created a proven sales approach she can customize to solopreneur strengths, allowing them to close 80% of their leads without pain or pitching or pretending to be someone else. Well, that sounds pretty good to me. So Alicia Barr, welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we met through our mutual friend, Ted Pedromo, and you uh, you talked about what you do for a group that he has uh, put together that I participate in. And everything you said, I, I think I recall in that moment while you were talking that I actually reached out to you on LinkedIn. It was like, oh, we're in alignment here and I have to have you on my podcast. And we've had this thing scheduled now for, uh, for a little while. And I've been looking forward to this conversation. So, uh, you know, we've all had that experience with a sales guy, uh, not necessarily as, as blatant and obnoxious as the guy that, that I told you about. Uh, but we've had that experience with the disrespectful, um, intense sales guy, like the one in, in the story, you and I both work with a lot of solopreneurs, coaches, consultants, professional experts who are great at what they do, but they often struggle with sales. They, a lot of them will tell me that sales is kind of yucky, dirty. They don't want to do it. They don't like it. And I blame that car salesman. I blame that guy or gal out there who has given sales a dirty name. What do you, what do you think? I would totally agree. Um, most people uh, really dislike selling or are quote unquote bad at it hmm. um, because they're going in the 180 opposite direction of a bad experience they've had. They're so scared of being that person that they undersell themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a disservice to the person that they're talking to because they are someone who's actually going to deliver a quality result. So, um, the fact that they aren't able to communicate that because they're so worried about being that person means that that person will go on to work with someone who's good at sales, but perhaps not as good at delivering a quality result. Right, right. So there are a lot of salespeople out there who go and, and you know, they master the tricks, but it's not just about mastering the tricks to close the sale. It's about establishing the relationship and delivering value over time that really make that really separate the great salespeople from you know whatever we want to call the other the other <laughs> yeah i mean absolutely those people can the type that you're talking about can sell but they will never sell the same amount as someone who clearly cares right. and it's not even about like tricks it's about like people don't realize that they're selling all the time. It is a life skill. How many times have you sold your spouse or your friend on mm. an idea, a concept, an event that you want to go to, a place you want to travel to? Um, it's the same exact conversation as a sales conversation where there's money involved, but people are just so worried about the money piece of it, but it's really just a byproduct of a conversation where you're understanding somebody's challenge and giving them a recommendation as an expert. And you're not knowing that you're not going to recommend something if it's not a fit for them. 
gives people a lot of confidence. You know, you're not just like going to take anyone's credit card and you shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and which, which leads me to this idea that part of being a good salesperson is disqualifying the people who are not a good fit. And where does that work into your process? And, and what can you share with our audience on that? on that point. Yeah. So I know we talked a little bit about the stuff that before the podcast that your audience, um, like the hangups that kind of have around sales. And a lot of times in those situations, one of the things that can really help shift the conversation and mindset for someone is just focusing on whether someone is a fit or not. So you're not selling them. You're just trying to understand if they have a problem that you can actually help. So it would be the same as like, if you had cinnamon flavored gum and someone needed gum and you were like, do you like spicy? And they were like, I do. And you were like, great, I've got the perfect gum for here's my gum. Like if they don't like spicy, oh man, I'm sorry. I don't have the gum for you. Like you're going to have to go somewhere else and that's okay. Um, So really simplifying it like that, where you are, what makes someone a good fit for you? Like, do they need to be at a certain place in their business? Do they need to have delivered this client result before? Do they yep. need to have a certain number of employees in place? Um, you know, knowing those things, once you find out they're a fit, then it's a fact. And so whenever you talk about it, you have that confidence. Like, right. yes, this is exactly the kind of person that I help. We can do this. We can do that you know, you sound like my client so-and-so who had this situation and this is where we ended up. And it just becomes a lot easier because you have that absolute confidence that this is a situation that I know exactly what to do in for you. Yeah. You, you said something really important a moment ago. You, you said it's a fact there's, there's a fit because it's a fact. And I think that what happens with so many people is that they're, they're, building a sales conversation around speculation, around supposition, around not being sure and not being confident. So what what can you teach that aspiring sales artist, subtle sales artist about the process before the before the close, before the sales call? What is the pre-call process that that gets you to that point of confidence and having the facts and being able to really deliver the value that you want to deliver and close the sale? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question that not a lot of people ask. Um, I think it's, it really helps to identify patterns in your clients. Like Mm -hmm. what patterns do you see in the people who have the most success with you? You know, do you see that stay-at-home moms have the most success with you. Mm-hmm. Do you notice that if this is a side hustle, they don't have the most success with you. So yeah. identifying those patterns and then really dedicating yourself to them. And at a minimum, when you're talking to someone, you can say, look, I usually help people in this situation. I don't know if I would recommend that you go somewhere else, but if that person insists, as long as they know that they have an extra obstacle to overcome and they're okay with that, then we're all on the same page here. Yeah. Um, so really like that pre-call process would be understanding who really is a good fit for you. 
Yeah, and at, at Story Power, we talk all the time about story discovery. That's the heart of what we're really doing with, with uh, the marketing process that we teach here. And story discovery is really all about your prospects, not your own personal journey and personal yes. story. And to the extent that you're able, through story discovery, to understand what makes your prospects tick, what's keeping them up at night, what is it that they desire and crave and covet, then you're armed with a greater understanding. You've defined the circle and it's not so giant and broad. Where it becomes really, really hard is when you're getting yourselves in yourself into sales conversations with people who really are beyond the circle that you want to serve. And, and now all of a sudden you, you, and you don't know the facts about those people and sales and that conversation becomes so much less comfortable and less easy and less, less confident. You said something so important, like you don't know how to uncover those facts because you don't know what they are. So you might know that someone's a good fit, but you don't know how to communicate that to them. Yeah. And it, honestly, it might just be a hunch. So when you identify what the patterns are that make someone a really good fit for you, the questions that you ask in the beginning of the call should be around that. Or if you have an application beforehand, even better. And yeah. then there are other questions that you ask them on the call that um, help you understand that even more. So yeah. knowing those patterns and you want to ask like the things that make them not a fit too. like how many hours do you have for this? You're going to need at least X many hours. If you don't have that many hours, then it's then it's not a fit. Um, so it can really help you not just guess at them being a fit, but right. really know. Yeah. And the, and questions like that in marketing lingo, we talk about not just qualifying prospects, we talk about disqualifying the suspects. And to the extent that you can ask those questions that disqualify the people who don't belong in your world, who won't be served by you, you are you are avoiding so much pain and heartache in the later in the conversation and and you know i i i heard you say on your facebook page that i forget exactly how you put it but um even when you don't close the sale it's never it's never a failure because there are two outcomes you either got the sale or you have an outcome on which you can draw. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I think what we're doing is it, it, it's all related to this idea of understanding the circle in which you're operating and arming yourself with the facts for the next call that you may have. Yeah. I, there's a saying that I love about um, there are no failures. You either got the outcome or the lesson that you needed. So yeah, what can you is. learn from um, the situation so that you don't repeat it? Um, you know, it's, it's not a great feeling when you make a mistake or when you flub something, but there's definitely a good feeling when you can say, you know what, I will never make that mistake again. Yeah. And you can kind of move forward and stop shaming yourself over it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is like, I mean, I just was talking to one of my clients the other day who this guy, you know, it should have been a two call situation, but Sometimes somebody will be like, well, I just have some questions on that first call. Right. And it's like tempting to be like, oh, okay. And then you answer them and then you don't, they don't feel like they need to have a second call and they don't end up moving forward because yeah. you didn't have the space to talk about things in the right way on the second call. And mm -hmm. so it's like, well, it's okay. Now, you know, to never fall into that again, just be like, great, save those questions for the next call. We're going to talk about that. 
and some other really important stuff because you only set aside so much time for that first one you can't like just go over so it's really just a qualifying call um yeah. and that's something that a lot of times you just have to learn firsthand yeah jim Rohn has talks about turning frustration into fascination and I think that's what we're talking about here, that that when you stumble and we all will stumble in our marketing and our sales calls, whatever the case may be, when you stumble, you can curl up in a ball and cry about it and be frustrated and all upset, or you could be fascinated and it now it's a puzzle. What? What was it I did? What was it about that person that didn't click? What was it about my lack of preparation for the questions that that led to that outcome? And if you realize that, wow, I'm on a journey to knowledge and to getting better and to doing it right the next time, and this is fascinating and this is fun, the pain of those failures, which aren't failures, is substituted with the fascination of a progressive journey and, and getting better and better and better along the way. And you articulated it really well in, in your example. So, so thank you for that. Um, it was a story. It was a story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew we were aligned. I, yeah. I knew we were. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you gave an example of, of you're on the call and somebody says, hey, I just have some questions. What about when it's not just, hey, I have some questions, but they begin to raise objections? How do you how do you handle objections without being defensive, without being like like the guy, the car dealer, uh, just outright aggressive. It's so easy to come off as defensive or aggressive when you're answering objections. How do you avoid that? Totally. So this is a drill that I run with my clients sometimes mm -hmm. where we'll present an objection and instead of overcoming it, which is the natural instinct, you ask questions for more clarity, not questions that are stupid, but like what that guy should have asked you is what, what car is it? What do you like about the car? <laughs> what price is it? Like, what is it about it that you like more than the car over here? And then he would have been able to understand what was making you look over there and say, well, I might have an option over, over here for you that's this, that, and the other. Would you like to look at it? So it's really just about understanding the objection more because the person just expects you to overcome it. So they automatically stop listening. They have their guard up and there's a filter and they're just like not really believing you. Whereas if you ask them questions, I mean, as he asked you questions about the car, you might've realized, oh man, I guess the car isn't that much better than the one at my lot. Like if he had been like, does it come with a warranty? How about this mileage, whatever guarantee? And you'd have been like, no, nah, it doesn't. Does it have air conditioned seats? No, nah, well, that wasn't super important to me though. You know, you could have had this conversation where you yourself as a prospect then realized like, oh yeah, it's not really um, a better choice without the person having to, and it just comes without the person having to convince you. And it just comes from both of you getting that mutual clarity and understanding together. Yeah, I, I love that because really what you're describing is approaching the prospect from that perspective of, of respect, honoring what it is that led them to their perspective 
What was it about the other car? I respect your your view. What was it that you like about it? And then you have you're having that mutually respectful conversation and you can fill in the blanks and deliver facts that are relevant to the conversation, not just, you know, I'll tell you whatever is on my checklist of crap that I'm supposed to to tell you. And so it, it goes back. It's all about all about respect and, and that, uh, you know, when you're defensive, you're, you're and, and, and combative, there's, there's this quality of, of, um, contempt, you know, it, um, certainly it that, that resistance, it's like, I don't want to say yes to you. You're yeah. like forcing me to say, it. and you don't like feeling like you're convincing someone. And the difference that you're talking about is like, I want what's best for you. So help me understand. Maybe that is what's best for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I just love it when a salesperson will say to me, you know, you're right. This is not the right fit for you and, and good luck. And, 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 you know, I can't think of an example I, I, off the top of my head, but I know there are cases where I've then gone back to people oh, yeah. who have treated me with that that respect because what they're doing in that situation is, is again, honoring me, respecting me, showing that they're more interested in what's right for me than in cha-ching, ringing the sale. And, and you know, you, to your point, you get more sales when you do it that way. You do. You want to refer people to that person. You know, you come back to that person, especially like as a sale, as someone selling something, letting them know, hey, you're not at the point where I can help you yet, but here's when I will be able to help you. Yeah. So I recommend these people like come create your proven offer and get your marketing story down and get some leads in. And then I can help you with your sales. Yeah, right yeah. now, you don't need that. Right now, you need help creating an offer and a brand. Yeah, so yeah. A lot of people could mix that up with sales, for example. Um, marketing and sales get mixed up all the time. Or um, a marketing person, they're like, these leads are terrible. And it's like, actually, maybe you need help with some sales, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you don't yeah. need more leads. You need to yeah. convert more of your leads instead of just getting more. So those, when you're transparent, it builds trust. And trust is what makes people refer you. Trust is what makes people buy from you. I mean, it's all about trust. Yeah. And, and all of those personal qualities and those approaches are important, but there's also an element that I think so many business people, especially those who have some sort of resistance where they drop the ball. And that is there, there's process here. Um, and what I mean by that is that you referenced a moment ago, uh, the first call, the second call, maybe the third call. I know so many business people who will, uh, you know, get a nice lead, a prospect, somebody visits their website, somebody goes to the webinar, they do the phone call, and then they don't properly follow up. They just yeah. drop the ball. They don't have the right process in place. And so from your perspective, what can, what can you tell this audience about how to follow up, how to win more clients with properly structured follow-up. 
That is such a great question. And you're right. That is where a lot of people lose sales. And it's like having a hole in your bucket and you're putting in all of this valuable stuff and it's just falling out the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so you're just constantly having to work to keep filling it up. And if you just plugged up that hole, you wouldn't have to fill up so much. And, you know, statistically follow up 80% of sales are done through follow up. And the way you follow up is so important. And I think the reason that most people are resistant to it is they feel like it makes them seem needy. Mm -hmm. And they also don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. So they end up saying like, hey, I'm just checking in. I'm just touching base. I'm just circling back, Um, which all means like, are you going to buy my thing? And I mean, if you think about it, when someone sends you that email, do you want to respond to that email? Mm -mm. Yeah, because it's completely about them. Like there's nothing in it for you. So coming from that frame of like, this is about your best interests. You want to offer something of value to your prospect that gets them excited. So options would be like, I just got done um, with my client. We crafted this incredible marketing story for her. And she's already got 10 calls for next week, just from the power of her story that we put together. I can't wait to do the same for you. Have you made a decision yet? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, an idea, Hey, I came across this person who has this story that seems kind of similar to yours, the way that they crafted it, you know, comparing it to Yoda and Luke, I could see this working really well for you. Um, you know, something along these lines, you know, have you made a decision yet? Like letting them know you're thinking of them and you can get excited about it so that they want to respond to you like, oh, there's something in it for me. Like I should make a decision. Now there was a critical, I I want to break down those examples. There's a, a very critical element to this that I think some people leave out. And that is each one of those examples ended with have you made a decision? You have to yet? ask. Yeah, you then have you to have ask. Have to ask. You know, it uh, again. Those those folks who suffer from some sort of resistance or fear, they don't want to come off as being pushy. They don't want to come off as as a pest. And and the beauty of what you just delivered is the first part of that template that you just delivered is going to reduce that sense of of being a pest and pushing. I'm here to provide value. I understand what you need. Here's something that you need, but then don't forget the call to action. That's such a huge and common mistake. You're afraid to ask. Ask. Remind them that we're having a conversation about you buying my services. Have you made a decision? It's fine to ask that question. Just don't make it as as you said with with Hey, just check it in. Are you going to buy? You know, that's. Well, or like a lot of people will, will uh, end it with like, let me know. Let me, yeah. Let me know. It it even, (laughs) it even ends in a period, like at a minimum have a question mark. Right. Um, Or people don't even register it as a question or a request. Um, So yeah, you make a very uh, good point. People are scared to ask, but when you ask, it's a res- it's a mutual respect thing. Like you say, like the person wants to let you know what's going on yep. if they haven't made a decision yet. Like they'll be more inclined to 
it's, it doesn't come off needy. If somebody, a lot of times I help people, like if somebody sent you that email, how would you feel? And they're like, Oh, I feel fine. Yeah, I mean, there's an element of common sense here, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, um, I caution some people to to don't fall in that trap of I don't like this kind of marketing, and so um, I'm not going to do it. I, I when I used to run an email marketing company, and oh, I don't like getting bulk emails, so I don't think I'm going to send bulk emails. Well, okay, but, <laughs> um, but you're right. I mean, when it comes to these sales conversations, I think most of us can can have a sense of if I was on the receiving end of this, I'd be okay with this. And that's often a pretty darn good sniff test for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Especially because honestly, like if somebody wouldn't be okay with that and you would, then you don't want to work with that person anyway. So it's a yeah, matter of alignment point. too. It's great like, point. if this is my person, they won't, I wouldn't, I would respect this person enough to respond. And so, so if they're my people, they would too. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you've heard the objections, you've followed up, they, uh, they get back to you and say, you know, yeah, um, I haven't made a decision yet, uh, but I do want to talk to you again. What are some of, uh, you know, if you could boil down just a few additional tips for how to help you get to that close comfortably, subtly, we, you've, you've used that word subtle, um, yeah. How do you, how do you do it? What what are some of the tips that we haven't talked about yet, Alicia? I think the biggest one that will really help you is understanding their timeline, which is something mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't ask, and understanding their goals and expectations from working with you. Mm -hmm. So, like if you have an expectation of launching something new in three months, then we need to start working on it now. Yep. So that we can get that foundational work done and you can have a successful launch at the end of three months. Is that timeline okay for you? Yep. Are you able to make that decision in the next couple of weeks? Yep. And if not, are you okay with pushing your launch back? Yep. So that kind of transparency, again, that really builds trust. It's like, hey, you can have either way. I'm not trying to get you to move now, but I am trying to discuss realistic timelines based on whatever you have going on. If you have other stuff going on in your business that's delaying you, then maybe we should rearrange this stuff and we can start over here instead and then get to this. So that's something that people miss a lot is the timing of whatever else the other person has going on in their life yeah. because they kind of forget that this person has a whole other life besides this phone call that they're having with you. And they definitely care more about their life than their phone call with you. So yeah. where do you fit in, in their child drop-off and pickup and yeah. employee meetings and, you know, sales planning goals and whatever else? Yeah, it is such, that's such critical advice, especially for those of you out there who are uh, professional service providers, consultants, coaches, and so forth, because the engagement is, it's not just you know, we're not talking about a B2C product in that case where we're talking about time, we're talking about commitment, we're talking about the the scope and the engagement. And um, it, it, you're you're so right on. You know, you you've touched a nerve here, Alicia, because um, I have a story from my past which I very nearly told as the intro story for this episode. And and that story is that when I ran 
the uh, email marketing software company. I ran this company for 18 years and we had email marketing software and we had services around the email marketing software. And I was a hard charging hustle, knock on every door and every floor, you know, cold call till my throat was raw kind of sales guy. Numbers game, not yeah. not the kind of sales that, that you're talking about. And I hit my numbers because I ran myself raw. Right. And, and, um, and it was only later that I had the epiphanies and the, the discovered the things about storytelling and the things that we're talking about today. There, there was a case where I made a sale and I went back to the office and, and it was a fairly significant consulting sale and got high fives around, ah, oh, Tom, you killed it. You slew them again, you know, on and on and on and on. And we celebrated the sale. And three months later, we realized that expectations hadn't been properly aligned. The scope of work wasn't really, they didn't, what I thought I was selling them versus what they thought they were buying was completely off. It's exactly what you were, what you were saying. Somehow I made the sale despite that, but I had not made the sale from the perspective of mutual understanding and respect and hearing their needs and all of those things. So for the, the coaches and consultants and, and service providers who are out there, what Alicia has just talked about is so critical, not just for cha-ching, I made the sale, but for a maximizing the lifetime value of the relationship and keeping that customer and having a delighted customer who's going to refer you. That's really what's, what's critical here. And um, I think your examples are uh, how to do that and how to make that happen. What's the timeline? What really are your needs? What are your expectations are such critical questions that uh, too many people don't ask. So they really don't. And yeah. it will save you a lot of heartache um, and they will appreciate you being transparent with them. It's one of those yeah. things that will close more sales, but you're right. It will make the relationship when you move forward so much better because we've all had a bad client relationship and it drains. It takes the amount of time and energy that three clients would take. You said it. Yeah, you said it. So Alicia, where can people go to get more information about you, to connect with you? What is it if they wanna take, you know, what, what's a first step to uh, connect with Planet Alicia? And, uh, and then if they wanna go further, what are some of the things that you might have available for them? Yeah, so um, I would join my free group on Facebook called Sales mm -hmm. is Not a Dirty Word. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of um, guides in there that you can access that walk you through typical selling situations and, and how you can approach them differently from a more subtle point of view. Um, Proposal-based sales, um, consumer-based sales, B2B sales, and then all the things that come with those. So I'd say that's like the best place to start. Mm -hmm. And then if you start implementing some of those things and seeing good results, that's a good indicator that um, I could help you a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. So you can reach out. I'm very easy. There's a ton of different ways to reach me once you're in that group. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for those who, who are not on Facebook or don't want to be on Facebook, you can oh, yeah. find Alicia on LinkedIn. Um, and where is your website, Alicia? It's just aliciabar.com. Yeah. 
And uh, all of this, by the way, is going to be in the show notes. And so we're not going to do that bit where we try to spell things out. You have okay. to hear it and write it. So <laughs> aliciabar.com right. and, um, and repeat the name of the Facebook group. It's sales is not a dirty word. Yeah. And all of you should be able to spell that without me spelling it out. <laughs> yeah. So Alicia, any parting thoughts, any additional tips, anything that uh, you wanted to say that you didn't have a chance to say today? Oh man, I don't know. I think I would just say knowing your audience, like not being at good at sales isn't, I think sometimes there's like a, oh, I'm a good person. So I don't sell people. thing, <laughs> And it's, it doesn't make you a good person not to sell somebody. A lot of times you're a bad person for not selling them because they need your help. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we talked, um, earlier, I think before the show about that, that difference, I, I meet a lot of people who get hung up on not wanting to be manipulative. They don't want to um, talk about their prospects, problems or fears or concerns because they think fear-based selling is somehow an act of manipulation and unethical. But the difference between unethical manipulation and ethical persuasion is intent. And if your intent is to serve and you provide a service of value, then just as you said a moment ago, Alicia, you know, it's it's almost as if you have a responsibility to take them by the hand and reveal to them why the products and services that you deliver are of value to them because they will be better for your products or services if what you deliver if you really are going to keep the promise that you're making to them. So I thank you for, for saying that. I thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, I hope that we do this again sometime down the road um, because every time I hear you speak about, about sales, I learn something and I know the people who uh, are tuned into this episode have learned a ton. So thank you, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. It has been a pleasure. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. If you liked what you heard today, visit storypowermarketing.com slash resources, where you can sign up for Tom's entertaining, informative, must-read emails. Download free business building resources, and discover other opportunities to help you harness the power of storytelling. That's storypowermarketing.com slash resources to help you captivate prospects, inspire them to act, and grow your business with greater ease and joy. Also, please remember to subscribe to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 